Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Zip Recruiter. Post your jobs online for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BadChristian. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. One, two, three, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, back. 10, 11, 12. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Man Christian Podcast. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man, that was a that was a serious. Good God. I, I just had a seizure. I'm sorry. Sometimes that shit. No, just Joey, comes on that was that was possession by a demon. Oh. Did it come out, or was it on the way in? Or I don't know. I, I you don't have your video on. So I <laughs> Good lord! All right. Well, what, what was that? I, I didn't know you're an expert on demons. Can you help me out here? Like, what, well, I'm what, not. What a, I, I'm not an expert, but I've seen you possessed uh, three That's or four true. times, That's true. and it is. Uh, we a lot of people. I don't know if people. Do people know that you and I used to be roommates? We yep. lived in college. We lived in an apartment together, and I can remember one time waking up in the middle of the night and. Uh, it was the strangest thing. It was kind of scary. I woke up and you were above me in the we had like a loft bed too. You were in the bed above me and you were completely naked and your penis was erect and you were manipulating it and I was like, "Joey, what are you doing?" And you looked at me and you said, "I'm possessed by a demon. This isn't what it looks like. It's I promise to God, it's a demon. It is a demon." And and I was like, "What's that magazine?" You said, "It's a demon." And I was like, "Oh, okay. I'll take your word for it. We're like best friends." And that so I've I mean, that I think that's what happened. The old, One time the and then demon, there was another actually. time too. There's another time I don't want to talk about. Yeah, because it was it was awkward at the other time. It was really yeah. uncomfortable, but it was a demon. I didn't want to make you feel bad for having a demon. Yeah, demon shaming is not obviously not a good. That's idea. not cool. No. <laughs> the truth so. of the matter is, I have scared the bejeebers out of Toby at least three times with night terrors. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> and, for sure. And I'll never I'll never forget when Toby said it this way. I just loved it. He's I was like Toby, you were scared, but why didn't you wake me up? I was screaming. Obviously, you knew I was in a fearful mode. I was having a nightmare, and Toby said, "Dude." F you, I scooted as close as I possibly could to the wall because he was in a loft, and he said, and stayed as quiet and motionless as I could because I didn't no. want the thing down there getting you, getting me. It, it's a weird thing at night, and I've got a bunch of supporting evidence for this, but that is an absolutely normal phenomenon, and I suppose you'd put it in fight or flight or freeze mode, whatever it is, but I yeah. can give you at least three examples off the top of my head, really more like 30, because a lot of them are repeats of the same thing, where if something happens, because I've had all this experience sleeping around dozen, a dozen people at once, being in a band, sleeping right. on tour buses and traveling, having roommates. It's been my clear experience that when something scary happens in the middle of the night, regardless of if you think it's a threat or not, everybody freezes and 
takes absolutely no action. And this is, I, I've got data on this from like a dozen, no, no, probably 20, 30 people. So almost Are everybody. Are you going to go into Megan Shelton? Well, that's one. I'll give you three examples. And one of them is repeated a hundred times. So the most common example is we play a game on tour. We love to do this to people who haven't been uh, on tour with on tour us before with and don't know. We don't tell them about it before. But there's a game we play that is if you wake up in the middle of the night, let's say three, four in the morning, on the quiet pitch black tour bus in your bunks where there's 12 people, eight people sleeping. The game is you stick your head out of your bunk, you psych yourself up, you take a deep breath, and you scream as loud as you can as if you were being killed. The scariest, <laughs> loudest scream you can do with no warning in the middle of the night. And when you do that, nobody ever, and I've done this, I don't know, between 30 and 80 times I've done this, nobody ever does anything. Everybody <laughs> is silent. They don't they don't check it out. Nobody gets out of that their bunk. Nobody says is awesome. everybody okay. Nobody says I, what is happening. I mean there's a couple of exceptions where somebody may have lightly yeah. said, oh, no, 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 let me yeah, let me give the exception to this rule. <laughs> Women are the only oh, ones true. that I've ever known to say stuff. For example, Lunsford's wife, Cassie, as soon as somebody did, she goes, That's Aaron, true. is everybody okay? And nobody like, said anything but, back to her, no, though. <laughs> no man. Uh, now, how about this? Let me, let me give you Megan Shelton, Devin Shelton's wife's story. We were on tour. We all stayed down in a basement. And because Megan and Devin were dating, Devin did the honorable thing and slept upstairs on a couch. Yep. All of us were downstairs with Megan, Matt's sister, Emmy. They slept in a bed together. And all the dudes, there's like five or six dudes on, a, on the floor sleeping, right? In the middle of the night, I hear, ah! <laughs> I promise I froze and squinched my body as tight as I could to not be seen her. And I just heard Megan screaming. I was like, oh, she's dead. She's gone. I don't know what's going to happen. She kept screaming, kept screaming. I promise the only thing I heard after that was Matt's sister goes, yep. Megan, are you okay? And Megan. <laughs> so women are super brave. That's probably why they die first in movies or whatever because they'll do it. But uh, then uh, the, what I heard after the screaming was Megan goes, Emmy says, Megan, are you okay? And Megan goes, Charlie Horse! <laughs> so she's having a like cramp or something. I don't even know. But so, do I mean, she was in agony and pain, yeah. and none of us were going to help her. And then Emmy helped her upstairs to get to Devin. Like, yes. we didn't even, I mean, that shows you us. Like, we didn't do anything. Yeah. And, and then, not only that, you, you told Devin that you were embarrassed for him. I know, I was. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, if Jess would have done that, I'd have been, yeah, been terrible. Yeah. I'd have been, it'd been horrific. It's weird because it could be something serious. We, we were in, uh, for instance, uh, this is a different one. So when we moved to Seattle, we were sleeping in this racing trailer we had that all locked up with a padlock at night. It was just a black enclosed 12, uh, 14 by 8 trailer. And we had bunks in it, and we parked in, in Yellowstone. We didn't go to a campsite. We literally just pulled off on the side of the road in Yellowstone. And, you know, and of course, at 3 in the morning, a park ranger, I don't know what time, it was midnight, the park ranger comes by, somebody comes by and starts pounding on the door. Nobody mentioned it. Nobody moved. Of course, they couldn't get in. They must have just thought it was an abandoned trailer. And then we get up right. the next morning. And it's like, did y'all hear the pounding on the door? Yeah, we heard it. Yeah, they we heard like, it. <laughs> nobody did anything. And when you do that screaming thing in the middle of the night to people, the next day everybody's like, they forget about it because they go back to sleep. And then the next day they go, wait, hey, did y'all hear that screaming last night? And everybody talks about yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But nobody does anything in the moment. <laughs> to our, your own peril. One time we were in Orlando, Florida. We were up super late. Everybody's crashed out, left the bus open somehow. Middle of the yep. night, a homeless guy comes on our bus. This is about four in the morning and is standing in the hallway where everybody is sleeping. Our uh, 
merch guy Peter wakes up, sees the guy, everybody else is asleep, and instead of doing anything or saying anything, he reaches farther back and knocks on the tour manager's bunk and taps his foot until he wakes him up. He wakes Cody up, and the tour manager, at least he has to deal with this. He looks out, he sees a guy standing in our bus in the middle of the night, and he says, hey, get the fuck off our bus. <laughs> and the guy was like, oh, I thought it was a party. I was just looking for some water. He said something like that. Oh, the door like, was open. The fuck. So Cody leans out of the bunk, says, get the fuck off our bus. And the guy goes, okay, sorry, sorry. He turns around and walks away. Still nobody says anything. <laughs> I'll go back to sleep. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Um, so we have a good interview today, but Toby booked this one. I'm excited to do it. And uh, just, yeah, what is this one, Toby? Uh, it's Jacqueline Friedman. I, I saw her on a few different podcasts, and we'll talk about that or whatever. But she's just awesome. Like it's it's funny. Like she just has like a joyful. Uh, it's is jolly a bad word? Like I always people don't like the, being jolly. Does that mean because it sounds like Santa Claus or something like that? But she's like a just an upbeat. We should use that happy person that can talk about all kinds of things that might be even uncomfortable, or whatever, and just has a really good take and a and a, a great wit and it's really funny and just cheerful. Maybe cheerful is the right word to use. But uh, so I'm really excited to get to talk to her, and we're going to talk about uh, sex and what's going on in the world today, and what we should and how we should change things. This is going to be really good. Hey guys, I'm excited to tell you about ZipRecruiter. Thing is, you may have heard about it already because news is traveling. I think I heard it on the radio the other day, and the reason why a lot of people are hearing about it because it's successful. They know what they're doing, and the word is spreading. So let me ask you this: If you're hiring, Shouldn't it also be maybe a goal for it to be an efficient process? But for that to happen, you also want to make sure you get the best candidates. And so what if hiring could be easier, more streamlined, and less time-consuming so that when you're busy, you can still be smart about the way you hire? And that's where ZipRecruiter comes in. Check this out. You can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. And then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. And that is why ZipRecruiter is different from all the other sites. They don't depend on the right candidates finding you. It goes out and finds them. So that's why 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates within with, with immediate results. And right now, you guys listening can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for absolutely no charge. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. Go out and do this right now. It's efficient. It's easy. It's streamlined. And you know that you're getting the best results. So go do it. ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. All right, Jacqueline, um, this... Uh, I know we don't have video right now, but this is Toby. Our voices might all sound the same. We're all from uh, South Carolina, so a lot of times people can't hardly tell us <laughs> apart. But uh, this is Toby. And uh, I so just to give our listeners a little bit, I, I was just – I've been booking for our podcast over the last few months. And back in November, I was just scrolling through other podcasts, and I stumbled upon – I think it was a college podcast. I can't remember the name of the college, but uh, there was they had several different guests, and you were one of them. And I just was so uh, intrigued by everything that you were saying, the way you were talking, uh, just so I, I want to say eloquently, but also freely about sex and women and empowerment. 
and uh, like faux power, like like your new book, uh, kind of talks about a little bit of that stuff too. So I was just really wanted to see if you'd come on the show, and uh, maybe we could have some conversations about that too. And to give you a little bit of a backstory, we like we all have daughters, and this subject of uh, female emp- empowerment uh, sexually, and uh, just having confidence and a, a bigger and better future is really important to us, uh, just because I, I feel like we we grew up in the. Uh, conservative christian world and mm-hmm. so sex wasn't talked about I, i'm not sure your background as far as religion or anything like yeah, that but for us I, it wasn't the, wasn't the funny thing for me is i grew up jewish uh and in reform judaism there's not really a lot of taboo about sex but i grew up in just in my own home with a very sort of 1950s mindset so even though i didn't get that from the religious end i definitely grew up with parents where you just didn't talk about it yeah, my, my parents never once talked about it. In fact, my mom bought a cartoon video one time. <laughs> and it was this shows you how old I am. It was a VHS. And we she said, One day I'm gonna show you this video when you're ready. And then she never did. <laughs> and and my brother and I found it when we were eighteen. When I was eighteen, he was like and we just popped it in and watched a very strange cartoon about how men and women it was you know, it was just men and women. Cause it was Christian, you know, so right. that, that was, that was all they would, you know, that's as far as they could go and no, no nudity. Everything was under the covers. But anyway, so, uh, that, that's why I just thought it'd be so interesting if you could get, you know, you can give us a little bit about your story, like your, your, you know, your biography says, uh, or bibliography, whatever says that you're a writer, speaker, activist, and, uh, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about, about you and then we can, you know, maybe get into some questions as well. Yeah, I, I grew up, like I said, you know, I, I didn't get it from the religious point of view, but I grew up being told that you, there were two things you never talked about in public, sex and money. Um, <laughs> and I think my parents probably would have preferred I became an economist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been nice. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you my went the w- other way. Yeah, exactly. I went the other way, the more interesting way. Um, my work really centers around kind of bridging two movements. So I came up in the anti-rape movement, uh, you know, working against sexual violence. And I think that work is really important. But, you know, in the 80s and 90s, when I was really coming up, there was this mantra, which was, you know, sex, rape has nothing to do with sex. And that's true huh. in the literal sense, in the sense that rape is really an act of power and dominance. It's not like an act of somebody who's too turned on and can't control themselves. And that was what was originally meant by that. But it became this watchword that got applied way too broadly such that you really couldn't talk about the sexual culture or sex in the same breath as you talked about sexual violence without people saying that you were being blamey or that you were confusing the two issues. And, you know, that's totally counterintuitive for most lay people who are like, well, of course, rape has something to do with sex, right? Right, right. Um, And so, you know, I started really broadening out my thinking about, you know, we're going to address sexual violence, we really have to address the sexual culture, right? The culture that tells men that dominance is the right way to use and approach sex. Um, You know, that's, it's part and parcel of the way we excuse sexual violence is by saying it's natural, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so we really have to shift the entire way we think about sex uh, and through it. Hey, can I, I ask you something real, yeah. real quick, just, yeah, just, yeah. For clarif- just for clarification. So some pe- so there is something being taught that because men have biological sexual impulses, they, sh- they should get off the hook for acting on those in a violent way. I, that's, 
Is, is that? Well, there are so, there are plenty of people like there are people like that in my timeline on Twitter right now who will argue that you know if a woman is being too seductive or appealing, you know uh, she she gotcha. is responsible for whatever a man does because he's just gotcha. basically like controlled by his biological drives, which I think is incredibly insulting to men. I don't know what you right. think, but like right. to suggest that you have no self control over whatever urges you might have, right? Um, right. <laughs> that's that's really insulting. Um, yeah. but, and, and I get called a man hater when I try and contradict it. Um, when I <laughs> say men are actually perfectly that's capable crazy. of controlling themselves. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I started broadening out my work, broadening it out to sort of thinking about sexual freedom and sexual liberty, because the, the flip side of the corn of the coin is what's called the sex positivity movement, which does mm -hmm. a lot of great stuff, but which, sometimes is a little too flat and cheerleady. Like what you need is just to decide you feel better about sex and do the freakiest thing possible and you'll be free. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And that erases a lot of people who either are, have had bad experiences with sex and have really complicated feelings about it or who maybe just don't want to, you know, who aren't queer or poly or kinky or, you know, <laughs> who aren't trying to enter yeah. some sexual Olympics, but just want to have, a sex life that works for them. Um, and so I call myself a sexual liberationist, right? So my work is at this point is really at the intersection of those two movements and trying to say the point is not for us to all be more promiscuous, however you might define that. The point is that all of us should have sexual sovereignty, right? Each mm -hmm. of us, regardless of gender, should be in control of our sexual decisions and our bodies. Um, and we get to call the shots about what kind of sex life, even if that's no sex life at all, works best for us, mm -hmm. free of shame, blame, and fear, right? And one is not better than the other, right? If you're monogamous and only want to have sex inside of marriage, that's not more or less liberated than someone who's doing a bunch of things that might be considered scandalous, you know, by the press or the church. Neither one of those things is better or worse. The, the thing that makes it better is whether you feel free to make that decision, whether mm -hmm. you're being pressured or coerced into it or, or limited in your choices, or whether you get to really be your authentic self when it comes to sexuality. So, so just to go to what, what, what my little conservative Bible Belt uh, Christian yeah. boy would, would call extreme. So you're saying if people want to have orgies, they should be free to do that. If people want to have open marriages, they should be free to do that. If people want, like you said, to just wait till marriage and only have sex with one person. So basically, everybody do what you want to do sexually, obviously outside of forcing anything on someone else. Yeah, as long as you're, as long as everybody is into what's happening, Right. Then that's good. Yeah. It's good. Yep. Right. Like then, gotcha. then we're all good. And then everybody keeps their eyes off of each other's papers. Right. Like we mind our own business. Right. Like maybe you would not like to have an orgy or I right. would not like to. But like that doesn't mean that somebody else, you know, that the five people are having one mm -hmm. aren't having a great time. Yeah. Jacqueline, an issue that I like to think through a lot, and I had, I'm not even relating it to sex, but I, I like to think about my children in the sense that they are born to me. I've selected to have them, and I know all the time I'm having to make decisions for them because they're not able to make their own decisions, or I use the word consent there. They don't actually get almost any choices, which is kind of weird yeah. in some ways, but there is no other alternative to, to raise a kid once you decide to have one and bring one in. But I am trying to do some really good thinking on how I should think about and coach 
or train or stay out of or give wisdom into their developing sexuality. So in your model there of everybody can do whatever they want and it's their decision to make, I don't that how does that interact with parenting, for instance? Like is it okay then to say, but you know, is it okay for me to steer my girls away from orgies, or, or must I make every effort to put no input into what their sexual ethic may be? <laughs> I mean, a couple of things are true in terms of parenting. One is you can start by thinking about what lessons you're teaching them about their bodies and other people's bodies long before you're thinking about actual sex, right? Mm -hmm. So not forcing them to kiss and hug relatives or friends that they don't want to kiss and hug, right? That their body is their own. But similarly, if they're horsing around with someone who doesn't – like they have to make sure that that other person is having a good time, Mm -hmm. right? That we're all responsible if we're interacting with people, just physically interacting with other people's bodies, that we're making sure that that other person welcomes that interaction. Yeah. And I'm going so to an extreme s- end to find this, but let's just say my yeah. 18 and a half year old daughter informs me that she and five of her other friends are going to go do this really cool orgy thing they've got worked out and they're all way into it. Uh, I mean, okay. So let's say your daughter's 18 and she's going off with five friends to have an orgy. I mean, Jack- Jacqueline's I, like, please stop with the orgy. No, I'm just, like, pushing, no, I'm just <laughs> pushing an extreme here, of course. Right? I, I am mean, 100% not scandalized by <laughs> right, this scenario. Right. Um, so let's say that's what's happening. I mean, I would have a lot of questions. The first is, how much experience does she have with sex in general? Does she feel emotionally ready and does she have the resources to be handling this kind of interaction so there's a great Mm -hmm. website called scarletteen.com which is my number one favorite resource for young people and sex on the web and they have an emotional readiness checklist for sex um and this is not we're going to get to the orgy i promise but i have questions (laughs) i have questions that come up before we get to multiple partners right so and then the first one is are they prepared for both for themselves for what might happen with mm-hmm. sex and also to take care of a partner? And that's there's no strict age as to what place, you know, teenagers might be ready for that. Different teenagers develop differently. So I would first make sure that she's emotionally ready for sex of any kind, um, you know, and whether she's thought through, you know, not just this might be fun, but also like, Mm -hmm. if this goes badly, like, what if this hurts our friendships? You know, if she's friends with those five people, or what if I get pregnant? Or what if I catch an STI? Or, um, you know, thinking through the things that might happen, and whether she feels prepared to take on those risks. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, what is she doing to make sure that she's doing it safely? And whether all of those people are going to feel safe during that interaction how are they going to take care of making sure of each other's consent right like i think that when you sit down and encourage people to talk through and really think deliberately about this stuff uh that's more important than whatever specific act they might be doing so you don't have to say sure honey whatever right (laughs) yeah right to to avoid shaming right like as as that's the point it's like of course i don't want to be shaming but i wouldn't feel shaming i'd feel compelled to take some action there and i suppose a more like a harder one, which is more complicated, would be I'm trying to find the lame the the area which would actually be inappropriate shaming is what I'm actually looking for here. Yeah. So let's say it was a 40 year old couple, Toby and his wife, come to me and say we're thinking about doing a three way with somebody. I would still go. I still would be inclined to advise them against that because it seems like that doesn't go so well from what I gather. I'm not the most informed person, but it seems like that often leads to a lot of complications. It's probably not a great idea. I don't think you should do it. Is that is that I mean, reasonable advice thing. to give your friend? 
I would say to my friend, wow, that sounds like a big decision. Like, you know, you guys feel like you're up for it. You might raise Mm -hmm. some of your concerns, but I might encourage you to do some research. Like there are people who have threesomes inside a relationship who that do go well. It's true that when, look, I tend to, just for transparency, I prefer monogamy and I, I have had group sex, but I don't like it because it is really complicated and I find it like enough of a challenge to have one relationship. Um, (laughs) Like that's a lot of work, I agree. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that what works for me doesn't, you know, is what works for somebody else. So, and, and the idea also that the best sexual decision is always the one with the least risk is one that I like to interrogate. Mm-hmm. Right. So some people like to go bungee jumping and some people would mm-hmm. hate to go bungee jumping. But we don't say to our friends like that's risky. You shouldn't do it. We say, are you taking all the right safety precautions? Are you make sure you're going with a professional with a good reputation? Like you want to encourage them to mitigate that risk as much as they can. But not we don't encourage people in any other area not to take any risks. So I might want to know about why Toby and his partner want to have this threesome, what what positive outcomes they hope might happen um, and whether they've thought about the things that could go wrong. And I might also do some reading. I mean, I don't know if this would be in the context of opening up the relationship in general or just a one-time adventure, but there's a lot of books and resources out there. Uh, There's Tristan Mm. Taramino's uh, Opening Up, and there's The Ethical Slut that talk about this kind of stuff, the bad things that can happen, and ways to work around them. So so Uh, with the – I was going to – can I ask Joey? I I think you make a a really good point there too. When you guys were talking about that, I was thinking, well, one scenario – an adult couple comes and asks you your opinion so yeah, that you, you're a little more free yeah, that, that's a good with your point. child. Yeah, sure. I, I, you know, you're a little more free, but like that, one of the things when y'all were talking about that, I was thinking, man, what, what happens, you know, if one of my daughters or son wants to, to, I, first of all, I'd be so happy. They felt comfortable enough to tell me that dad, I'm going to go have an orgy. I'll be home before dinner, <laughs> whatever, you know, that, that alone, <laughs> top that alone's right, pretty amazing. Like I, if I, I could never even come close to even, <laughs> I couldn't even joke about that. My, like I could not make that joke with my family. But one of the things you said that really is true. I, in that moment, I would, I really am learning right now with my daughters, not to put so much of me and what I think of that there that that is what you know what i mean like me when i th- when i hear orgy and my daughters i think me what do i think about orgies what do i think about my daughters all those things and so i like that what you were saying is like really asking some questions and you know educating them or equipping them to all the possibilities like hey what you know is it, what, what's the consent level here what does it look like all these different things and then i learned a, a kind of a it, i'll tell you as a dad it, it hurt my feelings and i and i had to realize i was completely in the wrong my daughter this has been maybe a year ago my youngest daughter she's four didn't want to sit with me and i was like oh, oh you're gonna you're, you're gonna yeah. sit with me you know Toddlers you're gonna sit with me brutal like oh that. i know and, and I, I said you were gonna sit with me she's like no no she loves her mom like she just wants to sit by mommy all the time and i didn't let her sit and she got upset and then eventually i, was, I let her go or whatever and i was like man i I did. I used my authority or power over her, and I know that she trusts me, and I know she still does, and she knows that daddy's never going to hurt her or anything, and maybe daddy was just being annoying, but still, I realized in that moment, I have so much control and authority in this relationship because she relies on me for so much that it's really simple to abuse those things. Yeah. Like, it's really easy, and, and so, it, like, if my kid, if I'm blessed enough and lucky enough that they would come be that honest that's what I'm trying to learn too. Like, wh- how do I not shame? How do I go? Okay, hold on. You know, that's what's really tough for me as a, as a father, even. Yeah. Well, and but the flip side of that is, if you manage to suppress that impulse, and I have uh, 
twin nephews who are four right now. And so I know what that can feel like when they're like, I don't want to be near you. Right. And you're like, oh. <laughs> you're um, only four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then when they do, if you, if you let them make their own decisions such that it's safe to let them, and obviously with four-year-olds, sometimes you have to make decisions for them, right? It, it is complicated around consent when they're young. Right. Um, but when you within bounds when you let them make those decisions when they do come over and snuggle up to you or say take your hand or be like i want to sit next to you it means so much more right yeah. it's oh, yeah, so much sure. more lovely because you know that they're free to choose it mm-hmm. yeah right totally 100 i wanted to i wanted to move into too like the stuff that you've written about and a little bit of your story um can, can, can i ask uh, can, can i ask yeah go follow- ahead Go ahead, um, Joyce. Sorry. So, so with with what you are talking about as far as encouraging freedom and all that, I, I'm curious. Like, does does the abstinence movement and and not even necessarily tied with uh, a particular faith, but there's a lot of people that are just like, you know what, that's just the best route. Is that offensive, annoying? Uh, like, how do you process? Uh, adults telling kids, nah, you you need to be abstinence because then you can avoid diseases, you can avoid early pregnancies, and that sort of thing. The abstinence movement is dangerous, honestly, because there's an enormous body of research at this point that shows that teaching abstinence, uh, abstinence only here, what we're saying, right. um, does not make young people delay sexual activity. The only thing it does is it gives them shame and secrecy about it. It makes them feel like they can talk to the adults in their life about it. And it also means that they don't, they're in denial sometimes about their own participation, which means they're less likely to protect against pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. They also, and this is especially for girls, if somebody's hurting them in a sexual relationship, are going to be less likely to, to come forward and seek help because they feel shame already that they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. It's profoundly yeah, dangerous. I agree with that. I have no yeah, issue with people who themselves individually choose to abstain from sex until marriage or until some age or until whatever moment is right for them. Um, but, but anyone who's coming out and saying there's a one-size-fits-all answer to how all of us should run our sex lives is running some dangerous propaganda. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I want to ask one of the things, and just just like I said, listen to some of your podcasts and stuff like that. I I want to ask you are a victim of sexual assault, and I, and I was just thinking how uncomfortable. Obviously, I mean, it, it is just to even bring that up. I, I don't know, like you, you you've spoken of it, written of it, and stuff like that. But I, I was yeah, wondering, it's not uncomfortable for me to for you to say that. That's fine. Well, that was my question. How <laughs> is uh, with with that? Like, I do feel uncomfortable. Like, I don't. How do we? Uh, with especially in this in like uh, the world we're living in now and the climate and the openness that people are trying to get, how do we uh, make people feel comfortable? Like you are now at a point where you always comfortable. Like when like you like you uh, in your story, you said uh, you, you you were think you were like too smart to get sexually assaulted yeah. or anything like that. I don't I don't know if you want to share a little bit of your story, but how do we make people even feel comfortable to ask or to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, that's dicey because every survivor is going to want something different. I wouldn't say like every survivor should just feel fine about being asked because it's yeah. it's really complicated. Trauma is complicated. Um, for me, no, I wasn't always like this. I mean, I was sexually assaulted in 1992. It's been a long time and I've had a lot of therapy and time to heal and lots of different ways of working through the trauma. Um, uh, I don't like to tell the details of my story only because I find it so normal like I don't think the actual details of my story are terribly 
interesting in the sense that I was in college. It was somebody I knew there was drinking. Like it was, it's like statistically speaking, like an average sexual yeah. assault story. Um, for me afterwards, uh, yeah, there was a long period where I just like didn't want to be looked at. I didn't want to be around men, especially. I stopped listening to music that was either about romance or sex and or by men. So I was only listening to music that was women singing about something else. Um, you know, I just like needed to go inside myself for a while. Um, but one of the things that I found very healing actually after that initial period of time was being able to tell my story, being able to say, you will not silence me, right? Because it's a, sexual violence is a negation of that person's humanity, right? It's about erasing that person's agency and sovereignty, you know, saying like, I'm in control of you, yeah. um, even in the most intimate mm -hmm. and personal way. And so for me to sort of speak up and say, no, I'm actually still in control was a, was a way of starting to feel that again, to sort of say, this happened to me, and it wasn't my fault. Um, and I don't have anything to feel ashamed of. Now, when I first started saying that, I was kind of faking it a little, right? Like when just stand up and say, I don't have anything to feel ashamed of. Like I believed that in my head, but I still felt a lot of shame because yeah. the culture, you know, long before you get sexually assaulted, you're absorbing all the messages about how you should feel about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I've long ago come to a place where I really genuinely feel like I don't have anything. I didn't do anything wrong. Like, why should this be my secret? I don't feel like it's, it's something shitty that somebody, can I swear on your podcast? Um, yeah, no problem. Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's something horrible that somebody else decided to do to me. So like, I genuinely don't feel any shame about it. Um, so like, I don't know why I should shut up about it. Right. Right. That, no, no, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. It, it's just such a delicate subject, and it, especially, especially for a male. Like for me, I go, man, I don't, I, 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 I one of my other questions I was going to ask you is that like, for example, I feel like, man, we've progressed as a society so much and we've come such a long way, but like, even in just reading some of your books, I, I just started uh, your book, Unscrewed, Women, Sex, Power, and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All. Yes. And I, and I, and I was just thinking that, uh, man, it, there is still so much underlying. Yeah. Like I was thinking about misogyny and sexual assault and where we're at. And, and so um, I was wondering like, what, what do you see as like, is it, is it still, is, is it a man? Is it a man issue? Is it a man and woman issue? Like is, is uh, you know, sex so ingrained in that the, the woman is the prey, the man is the pursuer or whatever it might be. Like, is that parts of the reasons why, rape is still so prevalent and sexual assault is still so prevalent. Do you, I don't know if you can speak to that or not. Yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately we live in a culture where women are considered less human in general. Uh, and it's sort of shocking and weird when I say that. And, and every time I say that out loud, I think that can't really be true, but you look <laughs> at the evidence and it's overwhelmingly true that men are just considered more human. Uh, and, can can and women... you let two two pieces of evidence? Because that's very interesting to me. <laughs> like like like, can you throw two at us? And and are you saying that's just from a man's perspective, or is that men and women think that about women? You think? I mean, look, I've spent the last few days arguing about that story about a season sorry uh, with people on Twitter mm -hmm. and elsewhere. Uh, and what was uh, your what was the argument? Giving your perspective on that? Yeah. 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 So. 
should we assume that your listeners have know what the basic story is? And they can look it up. They can pause it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's very easy to Google. Yeah. Um, no, you know, I have a lot of concerns about the way that journalism was conducted in that story, but putting that aside and looking at the story itself, which it's important to note that Aziz Ansari has not in any way factually contradicted. Mm-hmm. Um, it describes a woman continually saying, trying to convey her discomfort and her desire to stop interacting with him sexually and him just plowing over that him having no interest in her as a person, just as an obstacle course for his satisfaction. Right. It was a profoundly dehumanizing interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, He did not see her as a human, at least not as human as he was in that interaction. He saw her not as a person, like, but as a challenge. Yes. Um, so that's what I mean when I well, say – What's the other side you know, of the argument that, that you disagree with that other people say? Well, I've heard a ton of people say, well, why would she go up to his apartment if she didn't want to have sex with him? Or why didn't she flee or slap him across the face? Or, or that she needs to have done even more than simply being a person to, to earn her humanity, right? That women need to somehow – earn the recognition of our humanity. Whereas, you know, I, I said this on Twitter, you know, like I could be standing naked in a guy's bedroom. It does not give him permission to touch me. You know, c- women don't exist in a state of ongoing consent. That's only interrupted when we shout at someone or flee, you know, women inherently have sovereignty over our own bodies, just the same way men do. Um, And you have to ask for permission to touch as opposed to wait, you know, not assume you have that permission until you're violently interrupted, right? Because she gave him every indication that he did not have that permission. um, And he just kept going. How does that, that, okay. So this is where things get murky. I think people choose sides, which is, Frustrating to me because I, I think you're right. Like, I think there's truth in the middle, uh, usually. Uh, but how do, like, for example, whatever Aziz did, it, it did work. So why would he think that it would work? You know what I mean? Like, what, like what, what's wrong? How, how, why is our society encouraging that? Like, if you keep pushing, eventually you'll get laid or get oral sex or whatever it might be. Like, what is, why is that, um, for example, what, what he did, why, why aren't we, why is why wouldn't everybody be condemning it as it, it's really bad? Like that, that's where it gets murky, and I, and I wish we could have. Well, some I would clarity. like to know that too. Why everyone is not condemning it? Um, and I think it's because we don't see women as fully human, especially when it comes to sex. We see women as the rightful trophies for men who act boldly enough to seize them, and that not. And we don't see that women have our own sets of desires and boundaries and our own agenda to run around sex. Um, you know, it, that's why we we don't see women's humanity as strongly as men's when it comes to sex. Let me see if I can respectfully get in here and ask some decent questions and be authentic to my you know take on this while also listening to what you say. Toby says that a lot of times, in fact, I hear this all the time, that people, the tr- truth lies somewhere in the middle. I kind of resist that a little bit, and I'd like to revise that to say that it's more usually like both sides are true to some degree not like it's in the middle like maybe even if the facts yeah, are all clear yeah. and agreed upon a better way to say there's it. a bad this and there's a bad that 
and but people don't really usually have that capacity, yeah. so they want to go one way or the other, or they want to diminish both sets of details to make them feel more comfortable that it was in the middle. I kind of feel both ways about this. So tell me if if you get where you and I disagree. If we do, to me, Aziz's behavior here is bad behavior. It is not something I would want my a, a way I would want my son to treat a woman. And if it's a way, if I have treated a woman that way in the past, it would be certainly regrettable. I would think it would be it's just bad. I would call that creepy. I would call that yeah. That's the kind of guy we play in a band. We've been on the road forever. When guys act like that with girls, I've seen a million times. I don't like that. I think it's yucky way to treat a, a woman. Um, I've also been persistent with women when I was trying to get with them in some way that makes me go, wait a minute, did I do that or not? So that's my internal dialogue. What where I think it's interesting to me is the distinction you made before about rape and sexual assault being about power. Now, to me, that's a hard delineation from what creepy Aziz did here, which I don't believe was about power. I believe entirely it's about getting laid and you, whatever. I mean, maybe not entirely. Oh, I, don't, not just, I don't agree with you about that at all. Okay, so you, you have about- this in the category of about power and sexual assault and not about getting laid. Because he was approaching sex as an acquisition. He wanted to accomplish sex. There was Mm -hmm. no indication that it was about like a pleasurable collaboration with another human person. He was trying to do the sex so he could affirm his masculinity in some way. That's a power trip, right? Yeah. I'll give you that there's an element of that in there. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that, but I don't think that explains it in the same way that a full sexual predator about power, a a pathology that somebody has because of abuse and their past trauma and upbringing where they are going to commit a sexual assault. That to me, I think that's what Aziz a... did was sexual assault. Okay. It wasn't as bad as what Harvey Weinstein did, but mm-hmm. just because those are two different things doesn't mean they're not both a violation. Mm-hmm. He, it was very clear she made it multiply clear to him that she wanted him to stop, and he plowed over her her protestations and did what he wanted to her body over her protestations. Mm-hmm. That's sexual assault, Matt. Well, oh, yeah, I mean, like, again, I want to be respectful here, and there's on no level do I wish to say, well, she shouldn't have done this, or she does. I, I don't, that would not be my point of view whatsoever. So, I, I, in order, but I do think it's not, I don't like the same language being used for Harvey Weinstein and Aziz here. I, I, I contest that. Uh, I'm not the most articulate person, I don't have all the evidence. I, I fundamentally or intuitively feel very differently about those, and I think most people do. Sure they do, but I don't think they should feel as different as they do. I mean, look, you call it theft if somebody steals a candy bar from a store and if they embezzle a million dollars from a company, it's the same category Mm -hmm. of crime. And no one says, well, you can't call it theft when someone steals a a candy bar because there are so many worse thefts in the world. Well, we at least have grand larceny and felony and misdemeanor, and we do have a lot of designations there. I mean, Right, we have that, but we're still calling it all a theft. We're still calling it stealing, right? Well, so so rape is sexual misconduct, and sexual misconduct is sexual misconduct. So, yeah, in a sense, I, I agree with you. So, there. sexual assault is a broad category of things, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it includes both what Harvey Weinstein did and what Aziz Ansari did. What, but, but it's not synonymous with sexual harassment or sexual misconduct, though. Those are all three different terms, right? Sexual harassment, I would say sexual misconduct is a broader term than sexual assault that also includes sexual harassment and maybe other things that I'm not thinking of right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, do, I mean do, you, do you think what, what we're talking about sexual here— Sexual assault is physical. Sexual harassment isn't always physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't have the most sorted thoughts on this, so forgive me, and I appreciate you you know, being willing to let me think about it out loud with you here. It was somebody that I know— 
comes with some really good knowledge and stuff. So I'm not trying to. This is not. I'm not trying to defeat you in any way. I'm just trying to think out loud and be no, honest no, about my reactions. But um, I appreciate being able to have this conversation. Well, it's I think almost it's like useful to hear. Matt, I guess an example too. I mean, what would you do with this, Jacqueline? Like. I, so if my daughter, uh, I, and I have to talk a little quieter because the kids are right outside, but if my daughter came <laughs> home and, and said, hey, the, I, I swear to you, the bus driver touched my butt on the, on the way out of the bus, I mean, my inclination would be, okay, if someone's got to stop me because I'm going to punch this guy in the face and, and definitely try to get him fired, if she comes home beaten up and, said, and basically says, I, I've been raped, it's going to be devastating. I mean, just absolutely 100% devastating. It isn't, how would you describe those two situations? Because one of them definitely causes more pain to her, to the whole family, to all of us than the other. But you would say. They're uh, both ha- sexual assault. Yeah, they're both sexual okay. assault. I agree with that. Gotcha. They're different kinds of um, sexual so assault. Matt, what, Matt, Matt, what are you trying different- to say then? Well, assault is a physical thing where you touch somebody and they don't want you to. I mean, that's what that what that is. This one, I mean, people can make. I'm not going to make the arguments uh, about this, but I, I'll say in the broader sense, here's the way that I look at this from my point of view: is I'll tell you what drives me crazy is the abstinence movement and the conservative fundamentalist right wing approach to sex and suppression and repression, and we know what that leads to. It's tons of bad stuff because of a, a sexual ethic that is so conservative. And where you can only, you know, I mean, that is a that's approach that we've pr- almost proven, or I'm convinced, and have been convinced for a while, even though I came out of it, is wrong. Also, I think that Hollywood in general has, I mean, look, look at it this way: which bias do you think Hollywood has? Do you think Hollywood, in some way, has under sexualized things? Advertising in Hollywood? No. If anything, the bias would be that is a specific subculture of the United States today that has over-sexualized things. There, there's. I two- would, can I add some nuance to that? Feel free. I think the issue with for me with Hollywood isn't that they depict sex too much. Mm-hmm. It's how they depict sex. I agreed. Agreed. I'll I'll right, right. Uh, I'll go along with that. But my no, ultimate but expl- thing here, hear, which is I want to I want to hear her explain that. That's okay. interesting. Like what? Uh, uh, Right. So, I mean, for one, think about the men who are, are who we've just found out what they've been up to, who are in charge with what gets created in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Right. We know what their ideas about sex are. So, you know, what I object to that comes out of Hollywood is the constant portrayal as women as sexual objects as sexually mm-hmm. consumable and not sexual agents, right? right? Women who are running their own agendas around sex in a wide variety of ways and who also have full three-dimensional lives. Mm-hmm. We see lots of men like that who have sex lives in a wide variety of ways and also have other things going on with them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times when Hollywood portrays women in sex, it's about women being sexy mm-hmm. as opposed to being sexual, right? That's One is right. about I being an you actor on, on your own behalf as well as opposed to sort of being a trophy or a consumable for men. Yeah, I agree. It's like if a Hardee's commercial with girls in bikinis selling, you know, hamburgers. That's that's yeah. That I agree with you on that. But I think even because further, I think that sometimes I see like the Parents Television Council or, or organizations like that flip out about depictions of sex in Hollywood that are actually quite healthy. The example mm-hmm. I always think of around this is uh, Glee. You remember the television show mm-hmm. Glee? Uh, one of their first episodes had one of like the best little sexual le- lessons I've ever seen on mainstream TV where uh, there's like a 
abstinence club at school and Rachel who's the protagonist goes and to sort of see what's up with it because a boy she likes is in it and um, they're sort of basically like talking about how girls have to fend off men's advances and all this stuff and Rachel makes this little speech about how like girls like sex just as much as guys do and you know it's totally unrealistic to expect teens to be fully abstinent and that's why you have to get educated and use condoms and all of this stuff it was a great mm -hmm. sex education message and it was also about women having their own desires mm -hmm. um and acknowledging of that too and the parent television council boycotted it and they were like this is more smut on television and that's yeah. why i'm always really careful to make that distinction like it, the existence of a portrayal of sex in the media isn't inherently bad it's about what is what are the values about sex that are being portrayed here? Yes, I, and I, I totally agree with that in that instance, and I would be on the side of the Glee episode versus the Parents' Council there. But if I zoom out and look at what I try to do and take out some biases and look at, look at it as much as I can objectively, to me it seems like it's reasonable, and this would be my opinion, that Hollywood and the farther liberal culture uh, may be over-sexualized in, in the same way that the right-wing and conservative culture represses sexuality. So I assume there are extremes on both sides. And so, you know, general Christian culture, general Hollywood, those would be not the most extreme, but they would represent far edges. I think, the, from my opinion, the moral of the Aziz story is not woman shaming, not that she did this or he did this, but more like I believe that it's, uh, you know, you can't be that casual about having sex with people that you don't know. I mean, I think that's a reasonable takeaway from my view. In fact, you'll notice in the text thread that Aziz affirms or confirms later that after they had sex, after he left, after she left, after they had another statement about it, had done all the things they had done, Aziz says, nice to meet you at the end of the text chain. And to me, that sticks out a little bit. Like there are going, I understand. I'm I'm not knocking anybody's freedom or judging what they wear or what they chose to do in a moment. But I am saying it's to me my stance, which would be a more of a middle of the road stance. I would think is, hmm, maybe we've gotten the message that casual sex there there are consequences to casual sex because there is no real perfect way to sort this one out. And I think it's an example. I have to push back on this a little bit. One. There's a lot of sexual violence that happens in the context of committed relationships. And the idea True. that women on, or men only get hurt sexually in casual encounters is really wrong and really dangerous. It causes a lot of shame and silence. The second is, as well, just to be honest with you, as someone who's had a lot of casual sex, it's perfectly mm -hmm. possible to have casual sex with people that you don't know, that you maybe just met, who and are And with the giant respectful. power differential, though, if you add that in at least? Like, is it really safe to have casual sex with somebody you do not know at all? when he is a celebrity is that i mean is, is that possible to be safe on the whole if it's done a thousand risk, times right there are no mm -hmm. sexual decisions you can make that are safe including the decision not to make, have sex because you might actually mm -hmm. be harmed in a whole level of ways about that but there's so something the idea less safe that's, sure but again the idea that the that safety is the only thing we should be considering when making sexual decisions, I really push back against. It's not the end all be all. It's about how do we mm -hmm. mitigate those? Are we aware and again, of what the I'll, risks I'll might be? Do we feel opinion. capable I'm just saying... of taking on those risks? Yeah. So yeah, right. is casual sex feel a little more risky? Sure. You know, I happen to be really trained in self-defense. So that helps me feel like if I'm going off with somebody I don't know and something dodgy starts to happen, I have more options. <laughs> you know, like there are a lot of things you can think about sort of like doing your cost benefit analysis and mm -hmm. everybody's going to come up with different answers. But I have absolutely had 
casual sex encounters, lots of them where people are really respectful and also ones where people were not. And, you know, I called it off. You can make your own judgment calls. But um, how, does, how do you so, think about Jacqueline, power that's differential, what though? And is it like, let's just say backstage at Motley Crue, the, the roadie waves you back and you're into that. Is that is that is it? Reasonable sure. to advise I mean, I don't know that I would want to sleep with any of the Motley Crue guys, but yeah, let's say, <laughs> yeah. let's say I was, and I got waved back, and I'm not like 15. I'm me, mm-hmm. right? Like, because mm-hmm. then there's an age differential which we could talk about, but like, um, you know, but just the celebrity, yeah, I would I go would I go fuck a celebrity? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> like hell, I would. Absolutely, I wouldn't because I have a monogamy <laughs> agreement with my boyfriend. Just yeah. to be clear, but you know. All other things aside, would I fuck a celebrity that I was hot for? Yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one thing, Jacqueline, I was going to ask you though. In this situation, I don't want to talk about Z's all day. I don't. I don't. You know. I, yeah, I super but, don't but, either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like you've been talking about him a lot on Twitter and stuff like that. But how do we? Uh, well, like what you just said, I think what some people go is, why didn't she leave? You know what I mean? Like that aspect of it is like why? Like you said, you had some that started turning out a way that you didn't like, and you left. Is it is it a problem of education? Like, why did that girl not think she, uh, lady, uh, pardon, why didn't she think she could leave the situation? Or what what is what is that power dynamic? There? There's a bunch of things happening in that question, and and I want to answer a question that you didn't actually ask me, but that okay. other people may have and hear around that question. But I want to also say, like, I didn't hear you ask me this question. Okay, okay. So maybe we could all agree that she should have left right? In an ideal world. That does not justify how he treated her. It does not make how he treated her any less wrong. It does not mean she deserved any of it. We should be able to make bad decisions or, or, or like not stand up for ourselves and still not have people violate us. So I just want to say that crystal clear before we talk about why she might not have left. Um, well, I mean, I think that she probably was really hopeful that this was going to go well and was yeah. invested in that idea. And it can be sort of shocking when things start going a different way, right? Like she could have just been really – she could have been a little in denial, right? Like I believe yeah. that if I'm guess I oh, say yeah. this a different way, he'll hear me this time because I think Aziz Ansari is a good guy, right? Like it, that she didn't instantly understand that's not what was happening here, I think is really human. It takes all of us a little moment to like turn the ship around when we have deeply held beliefs about somebody else. Absolutely agree. How many times have you been in a situation with a a, a salesman or something that made you uncomfortable and it took you until after on your way home to realize, man, he was controlling me there. I didn't realize what I was getting into and I had that suspicion, but I didn't really, I mean, I totally agree with that. I'm Sometimes I bought stuff, like I've handed yeah. over my credit card and I'm thinking right. at the time, like I do this, you know where I do this, you will know nothing about this, but there's this like bath and body products company called Lush and mm-hmm. all of the, their salespeople are like hard sell. They obviously train them to do like the hard sell and they have some nice stuff. And I used to go in there and be like, I'm just going to pick up this one thing, but it's literally impossible to do it. I would go in there and somebody <laughs> would clothesline me and like sell me, sell me, sell me. And I would be like spending way more money than I could afford. And I would know it. I would have this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach and I'd be turning over my credit card to them and, and, and go home and like feel like crap about myself. And I had to stop going there. Um, <laughs> so that's, yeah, it's, it's, that's a pretty human response, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree. Like I was introduced to pornography very young from an older person and I, I did. I just thought, oh, this is what you do, and then so that 
sexual, whether I was ready for it or not, whatever, I was totally under the, oh, well, this person understands this, so I'm, and they're cool or whatever it might be. That, that's kind of my bigger point. How do we, how, is that one of the issues that we have not educated uh, conversation about sex? Like, w- like for example, oh, she, absolutely. W- would it have been better if Aziz would have said, I only want this? And then, like, did, were they, like, how do we, give, yes. How do we give I each wish other? that they just yeah. had like a quick conversation when they were still at the oyster bar drinking their wine. They could have had a very sexy right. conversation. There are very sexy ways to have this conversation. Wow. He could have been like, I want to do this filthy thing to you, right? Like in a sexy <laughs> voice. And then while they had their clothes on, she could have been like, oh, I don't know if I'm down for that or not, right? Like, <laughs> right. Um, that, that's yeah, going to require absolutely. a big shift that you're talking about there. But I, I think that makes a, actually makes a little bit of sense to me because when you first say that, that sounds absurd. And I've never had any success with you know out on a first date with somebody <laughs> saying you know I'm intend on having sex later, you know. But you're right. You have a point. I mean, of course, on first glance, that sounds absurd to me. However, I will give you the credit to say if you were very progressive sexually it, and you knew you were with a sex positive person i'm sure that would play out really differently it probably is possible it's just never even crossed my mind that that could be done in that way and be effective but there's much lower key ways of doing this also so have you guys seen call me by your name the movie that's out right now Mm -mm. no okay so it's a really beautiful movie it's an also incredibly sexy movie it's a love story between these two men in the early 80s and more than that would be spoilers but um and it's incredible. And like half the first half of the movie is like this, just like unspoken longing because they're neither of them can figure out if it's okay to indicate anything to each other. So like there's all this longing, and then you get to the moment where like they finally maybe are going to connect, and the one says to the other, "Can I kiss you?" And it is like one of the sexiest scenes I've seen in the movies, right? Like so the idea that talking about consent, that ascertaining consent is anti-sexy just lacks all imagination yeah um you just have to say it with intent so (laughs) and i also say like so it doesn't have to be like you don't have to be sexually progressive and sit over drinks although i have done this like sit over drinks on a date and have people be like well what are you into sexually and and i'll be like i'm into this and what are you into and that can be a really sexy conversation but you don't have to be up for that to do sexual communication so in your view like aziz i know you don't have a good feeling about him of course but so but even that would be uh i'll put it this way you have would have less or no problem with tommy i'm gonna go back to motley crew tommy lee has a lot he <laughs> says yep nice to meet you this is the blowjob line i'll be getting blowjobs from everyone in this line you can get in uh it looks like there's seven right now you'll be the eighth no you th- because of that clarity and you know uh upfrontness about that that is n- uh, that's n- a non-issue i mean as long as nobody's being pressured right mm-hmm. and and you know, it isn't, depends the, on isn't that people, situation inherently pressure, though, like the power differential and you're there? I mean, something about that's weird. Why right? does he have power over me? Yeah, you can just say I'm not getting that line. Right. Well, I don't, I don't also, see the pressure there. I, also, as long as I could get in that line and get up to that, the front of the line, and then at the last minute be like, actually, I changed my mind. And that he wasn't going to get mad at me. Sure, sure. Right? Like, hey. so... You know, all this conversation in advance is great, and I do think we should be doing it. But just because you say to somebody in advance, I want to have sex with you, doesn't mean you can't change your mind later. And I want to be clear about that. Yeah. Yep. I've got two questions that I almost refuse to let this conversation go before I ask because I'm so curious. But no, that's, okay. that's not forcing you, Jacqueline. That's telling Toby and Matt, you can't wrap this up because I've got to ask two questions. First question <laughs> no is, problem. how... 
how do you translate this to pornography? Like as far as sexual liberty, like, do you ever, uh, are you ever concerned about pornography objectifying women? Look, I think about pornography the way I think about all media. There's a bunch of misogynist crap that is under the rubric of pornography, and then there's some good stuff. Um, So the question isn't, is pornography good or bad? It's like saying, are novels good or bad? Like, you know, it's about what's in the pornography. So in Unscrewed, my new book that you mentioned, there's a whole section in one of the chapters about the economics of pornography and why so much of the stuff that we can access free on the tube sites is so misogynist. Um, But the idea that that's what pornography is, I totally reject. So I think we should be able to talk about pornography like any media and say, no, I don't like that pornography because it's misogynist. I prefer this pornography over here. Gotcha. What What about then um, backing up a little bit? What about women posing naked and and when Playboy used to do that? I don't know if they went back to that or not. But the, uh, would you have would you take the perspective of well, that's what she wants to do, that's what she enjoys, and that's okay. I don't have any problem with the woman who wants to pose naked for anybody. I do have questions about the systems that reward women for posing naked and don't reward them for other things. Right. Gotcha. So oh, that's a great point. I, I have a lot of criticisms of Hugh Hefner, right. Who starting with, he kept women captive in his house. Um, <laughs> so I think that it's asking the wrong question to like focus on the morality of the women who are posing. We have to ask about the morality of the value system that tells women that they're more valuable for what their body looks like than for what's in their heart or in their brain. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So my next question is what if a married man <laughs> is super is super turned on by having sex with a with other women without his wife knowing? Like that is just so sexually charging. He's like, man, I just love having sex with other women with my wife not knowing. And that's what he gets off on. I think he's welcome to fantasize about that, but if he acts on it, he's violating her ability to consent. Right. So if she if he if she thinks that they have a monogamous relationship and she's having sex with him under those conditions and that's not actually the conditions under which she's having sex with him like she, he's not actually being monogamous she is not free to choose whether or not to participate in the situation that's actually happening what if she tell I think cheating is totally I think cheating is totally immoral because it violates the cheated on partner's ability to consent to what's actually happening what if she tells him, hey, I prefer for you not to fantasize about other women? Would you say then that's off limits for him too? Now, I mean, I th- think these that's a may seem really weird. Work out. No, well, it's fine. Yeah, I just think, I, I just, your your perspective is is just so interesting. And just uh, so I you just... know, these, these questions don't seem weird to me at all. Okay. <laughs> awesome. I think I'm talking about this stuff all the time. Um. I think they have a marital issue then, right? Like she right. is made insecure or uncomfortable by his fantasies. Um, these are his fantasies. You know, you can't necessarily control your thoughts entirely, right? Um, so that's something that, you know, I would encourage them to talk out. And if they can't come to some understanding, I would encourage them to see a couples counselor to see if they could work out, you know, what is it that troubles her about that? Or what is it about that that turns him on? And maybe he could express that a different way. Or, you know, like, there may be some middle ground for them to find where they're both a little more comfortable and also get to be their authentic selves. But but wouldn't that rob them of the monogamy that that they like, I, I don't see how that contributes to monogamy. 
how what contributes to monogamy just just the fantasies about other women because then i i would imagine like i i have i'm married and i have fantasized about women and i try not to because it seems like that would t- that would steal from my wife and i and and i'm what not arguing i i would love to hear from you What's that? I'm, no, I'm curious about this. What does it steal from you? Well, because I think I would be more apt to potentially visualize other women when I'm having sex with my wife, and that would seem to inhibit the closeness that I would say sex is probably. I think Joey's for thinking it's more of an honor thing, like he's honoring his wife, like doing a a good by her, maybe. And and part of that probably Joey also is your background. I mean, absolutely. absolutely. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. the, 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 the. I the, mean, here's how I think about that. I think, yeah, if all of the time when you're having sex with your wife, you're thinking about somebody else, it's going to probably be like impinge on your intimacy, right? You're not being present with your wife. But I think sex can be for and about a lot of things. And you don't have to be lovemaking and connected and intimate literally every time. (laughs) Yeah, that some of the time you could just be fucking because it feels good. Um, And other times we use sex to like really connect on a deep level. And both of those are good and okay. Yeah. Um, And so if you were always doing that, you you only wanted to fantasize about other women when you were having sex with your wife, I would wonder if there was something going on for you there. Yeah. Um, and, And whether that was impinging on your intimacy. If sometimes it happens, I feel like... I mean, I just feel like all of us are attracted to people other than our partners, no, even I when agree. we're in monogamous relationships. And not making space for admitting that right. actually allows those feelings to sort of fester and, and morph into, I think, more dangerous things. You know, my partner yeah. and I are pretty frank with each other when we find somebody else attractive. Yeah. Um, you know, and making space within the relationship for those feelings actually can increase intimacy. Right. Now, tell, tell me if this is too personal, but is are you and your partner monogamous? Like, is that what y'all have chosen? Yeah, we're monogamous. I gotcha. like, for me personally, I've tried being poly. I hate it. It's like so much relation. Like there's, I just am a busy person and one relationship is a lot of energy if you do it right. And I just, it's too much for me to manage. Gotcha. But you're I think not- one of the, one one of the big takeaways here too is you're not. Uh, I appreciate that you're not prescribing how you do things for everybody. Like mm-hmm. like you're no. saying, everybody find your own voice for sex or whatever. How I'm, I'm not articulating that well, but like I, I feels like that's what you're saying is that everybody. I mean, like like you said, your sovereignty with this, so that if if you actually have sovereignty, then you have maybe boundaries that are more clear and and uh, things like that. It, it seems like that would be the best way. Everybody has their own set of rules when it comes to their preferences and style and what they want. And so how do we get that? Because in your book, uh, you're talking about, uh, like you call it a a faux power and I'm learning more about that and that idea. How do women gain real power? Like you speak of that, like it's a, it's a call now we're kind of in a time where we need to realize that women, like, like you said, maybe don't have the same level of power or, uh, humanity, maybe even, uh, that, that men do, how are what's some ways that women can start regaining a little bit of that and, and like get a little bit of equal footing? Yeah, we have to change the actual systems that make up our culture. So 
you know, each chapter, as you know, in my book looks at one of those systems. So I'm not going to get into every single one right now on the, on your show, but some of them are, we have to fundamentally change the way we teach sex ed so that we raise generations of young people who don't think about sex as a sort of gender dominance game and instead approach it as a consensual creative collaboration, right. And are emotionally ready and responsible for sex when they engage in it. Um, we have to, uh, change not just how women are represented in the media, but we actually have to make sure that women are in control of our media institutions in at least as many numbers as men. We, we know what men have been doing with the media institutions. Um, we That has become a stark relief in recent months. Um, so it's time to let women literally be be the owners and the producers and the the ones calling the shots about what media gets produced and how. Yeah, um, I've been thinking podcasting is the best way. Like anybody can podcast and I'm hoping that, that more and more people do take advantage of that. Like you can really start using your voice right now with a, you know, your computer microphone. You know, I agree with that. But if you look at the podcasts that make it big, most of them are hosted and run by men. And most of the funding for podcasts funds men's podcasts. So it's not just about can you make your own media? It's about can you reach an audience? You know, like who's getting promoted? Who's getting through the curators and the gatekeepers to reach real big audiences? Um, That's a little – I don't really understand that. Um, What's causing the men to be successful at podcasting? That isn't happening to women? Oh, I don't think it's about men are more successful yeah. at podcasting. I think it's that men – I think a lot of the podcasting money came out of sort of public radio and men already dominated that arena. And the investors who you know had money for podcasts you know, because of gender bias trust men and find men more authoritative. We, mm-hmm. we have a thing as humans where we tend to hire – uh, and affiliate with people who remind us of ourselves, and that brings along I mean, a lot of. Most podcasts don't have bosses. Most podcasts are independent, though. No, I mean not the ones that make it big. <laughs> the ones that have real funding behind them are parts of podcast networks, mm-hmm. um, or are produced by you know the Washington Post or you know Slate or you know there's a lot of NPR. You know, like it, it's not. There are a ton of podcasts out there, but the ones that have big audiences and big ad dollars behind them. Um, also have institutions behind them and gatekeepers. And you're, and you're saying since those entities, they they choose men. So then it makes the man voice seem more trustworthy potentially or, or more prevalent. Yeah, well, and audiences also have unconscious bias toward, you know, considering men trustworthy, you know, because we have to intentionally undo our gender bias, right? We have to intentionally say, you know, I, there was a study that I, I think I cited in the book that found that like most of the men who control big tech companies on Twitter mostly only followed men, right? The, just the people they followed on Twitter were almost entirely men. Um, you know, and I'm sure they didn't set out to say, I only want to follow men in my Twitter feed. It's just like, these are the people that seem authoritative and trustworthy to me. And I've not examined my biases, right? We need men actually to do a bunch of this work. If, if women could do this work all on our own, we'd have done it already. I promise you. Um, all right. Well, I, we're kind of running out of time here. I don't want to keep sure. you all day, but we would love to have you back if you'd ever come back. We, we didn't even really get into talking about some of your other works and, and, and sex in general, like in the enjoy, the enjoyment of sex, you know, a, yeah, lot, a ton stuff. about that as well. Yeah. What's and, the best way to do it? I would, I would come back anytime. This has been super fun for me. <laughs> well, we really do appreciate it. And, and your new book is called Unscrewed and it came out back in November. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I've I've started reading. I haven't gotten all the way. I'm uh, maybe about a third in, but uh, I do. I think well, here's the thing. 
I am naturally uh, Southern, grew up conservative Christian, all this stuff. So there's a lot inside of me. And so when I'm trying to learn and listen and figure out this stuff, like I, I really appreciate, like in one of the first stories you told was about a lady who uh, ended up being a sex worker, but she also uh, wanted to do some, like, I think it was like burlesque kind of dance or whatever. And then all of a sudden it turned into a, a sex. I won't I go into it, but I just appreciated like the dynamics of sex in a moment. Like how, yeah. how, how it changed in just a moment and understanding that now, I mean, obviously I don't, I, I don't think that all men are bad or all women are bad or any of that stuff, but I think the conversation, this is what I'm really interested in is this conversation of figuring out why people feel the way they do and how can we learn from that? Where are we right? Where are we wrong in all, all situations? So we really do appreciate you coming on Jacqueline. Well, I appreciate your approach. It's been a great conversation. Toby, good job finding that guest. She was awesome. Yeah, that was kick ass, man. I, I, I'm telling you, man. That <laughs> here's here's what I'm thinking about through throughout that uh, episode. And I, I love the fact that um, I just love the conversation. But first of all, y'all know damn well that all three of us had thoughts of whoa, that oh god, oh whoa, whoa, that's a little too much. Like because that's just how we've been cultured. There's a lot of stuff. No, nope, that that's all, all you. All, no, that's not true. <laughs> and I, then, I, of and, course, feel uncomfortable. Well, I, I, here's the and thing. Then, I, wait, I, wait. I, let me just finish my thought. And then secondly, you also know damn well that we have some Christian listeners that are just like, you guys need to stand up for God's holy word and his his standards and all that. I just, right. I, which, honestly, I would like to say to all of our Christian listeners, maybe uh, there's not a lot of stuff that we can teach people, but if anything, maybe you can learn it is okay to have conversations with people to learn from them, even if you're learning a different way of thinking. That's My gosh, right. and it benefits you to understand how other people think. And yeah, of course. I don't think everything she said was silly. In fact, I think a lot of what she said is great. Yeah, of course. You can't get, you can't even, like, if you take a harder edge or start talking about God's commands or a harder line on <laughs> something you disagree with, there's no way to get to actually trying to really understand what this person is like and how they may have that point of view and what in whatever way you disagree. So I'm perfectly could you, willing. Could you imagine us saying, uh, "What does God have to say about all this?" Right, you just it'd be over. You'd, it would have stopped the conversation. I, I have no problem going way down somebody's path and not. Ha, you know, way beyond what I agree with to 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 just try to get a grip on how they could actually be the place they're at. There's nothing. Just, there's not. That's nothing dishonest or not taking a stand about that whatsoever. So yeah, yeah that's a it, very it, silly it, attitude to shut everything down early. Yeah, totally. to make your stand. Everybody's way, way, way into. It's time for me to stand up. I have 118 <laughs> Twitter followers, and it's my time to make my stand. There's way too oh, much of that going man. on. <laughs> Well, so. well, I mean, she has a whole different uh, experience and world history and everything that she's gone through. So I do, that's what I'm saying. I always feel uncomfortable when I find a guest and I want them to feel comfortable. And that's what I like. Like, I feel like even though like definitely she she said how she felt. I'm really appreciative that she felt so comfortable to speak freely and all that stuff. But yeah, I'm always, uh, I'm always uncomfortable usually in, <laughs> in a lot of situations. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm trying to learn like what, like, for, for example, they this is really sad, but there's a decent chance that our uh, not more than decent, a maybe. Uh, unfortunately, I don't even know. It might be a good chance that one of our daughters or sons could be 
molested or uh, sexually assaulted or whatever stats. it might be. And I, and I want to learn some of that language of like, how do, like, how do I talk, how do we talk about that? Well, I don't, it shouldn't like part of the problem is it's not spoken of. Right. And so then it ends up, you know, being a cyclical thing where it just gets worse and worse. So you don't talk about it. There's a power dynamic that wins. Like that's what I was trying to get. Like with the Aziz thing, my, my initial reaction with that is why didn't the lady leave? You know what I mean? Like, like she's a strong woman. She can leave now at the same time. I go, wait a minute. If I think if probably more complicated than that, Think about uh, the times in your life where somebody had maybe a little bit of power or fame, and what was going on. You know what I mean? Like what? Oh yeah. What is that like? Where Where did I uh, let go a little bit of me because of who was in the room or whatever it might be? And that's easy to do. And so the woman that uh, did the allegations against Aziz, I don't think is a terrible whole person and terrible and awful and just trying to get money or fame and all that stuff. There's something there. She's right. He never even denied the way it went down. Now, he has his story, she has hers, and we can say that. But all that to say, I really appreciate a perspective of something that I don't, the way I haven't been taught, you know, in my past. Like, my yeah, past is super. Curious, you got to play at least, you know, go along to hear it. If you're curious about anybody's point of view, you have to get somewhere before you hear yep. it. Well, it's a hell of an episode, though. Yep. Jacqueline Friedman, we certainly appreciate it. We're going to have her back to talk lot. about the positive sex stuff, too. She yeah, for she sure. The, the books and knowledge, the unfathomable. It's amazing. Yep. Yep, for sure. Well, hey, we're going to wrap this thing up. But before we do that, we want to thank our BC Club, who remains consistent in their support for no, us. No, Joey, sorry. And- we we had to close that down. Yeah. Oh, we closed the BC Club right. down? It's over. All right. All right, so here's how I'm going to rephrase this. These guys got in just in the nick of time to get their names read on this podcast, but there is no club, all right? So uh, thank you guys for joining this club. Sorry it doesn't exist anymore, and that's Jeffrey Payne, Mariah Babno, Bethany Lauren Hatch, Aunt Andrew Bradford, Andrew Vanover, Shane Shakeford, Joshua Ogden, Zachary Deloach, Robbie Vaughn and Chris Naples. Mm-hmm. So these basically, guys went to, go ahead. Yeah, they did. They went to the bcclub.com. They joined right before we obliterated and wiped out the club. It's a lot like Genesis when God wiped out the earth. It became too corrupt. Amen. Flooded it. Done. Now we're going to start over. <laughs> I mean, you can still join yeah. today. We're going to start over. We just had the purge. So, you know, those people yeah. that you read today, it's really unfortunate because it's, there, it's along the lines of those last people that were born right before the flood and Noah. Like, it wasn't really their fault, but too bad. <laughs> they were pre flood. Right. So. Nah, just kidding. We got a group's uh, was kicking ass. I mean, we, it's, uh, there's a, it's, it's, it lives, it grows, it's its own thing, hey, yeah. and it's a lot of fun. You're, you're, you're missing comment, out if you're hey, not in it, to be honest. Your comments on that Facebook page may not be private, but hey, <laughs> it's still a page. We okay? had to change the language to say, join the BC Club, you get this, you get this, you get this, you get access to our sometimes private Facebook group. You know. right. Hey, hey, your secrets may stay your a secret may, with or, us. may be safe. I mean, it's, it's a good chance they could be safe there. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.